take your Bibles, go to Ephesians. We are in the book of Ephesians. This is a study that we started last week. Pastor Linda did an amazing job uh, kicking us off on this study in the book of Ephesians. Just while you're turning there, I want to let you know that uh, this week I'm going to be traveling to Kenya, and I'll be there for a couple of weeks. We have... uh, we're doing three conferences with the Kenya Assemblies of God in uh, Kisumu, Bongoma, and Mombasa. And uh, certainly covet your prayers that you would uh, just keep uh, me and our team in prayer. We're going to be training about 1,200 leaders or so between all three of those conferences. So uh, appreciate your prayers in that regard. All right, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others, but God, everybody say, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is what? The gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a praise. That is an amazing, that's just an amazing text. I think this is one of the greatest texts in all of the Bible because it gives us a diagnosis of the human condition and God's remedy that only he can provide. Now, most of us here, we're familiar with a a diagnosis. At some point in our lives, we've probably been to a doctor and received a diagnosis for some something wrong in our body, or some sickness in our body. And maybe you're here today and you're facing that kind of a diagnosis. And I want you to know that we're, we're praying for you if we know about that. If we don't know about that, you need to come to the altar today at the end of service, get prayed for, and let us know to put you on our list to pray for you or for your loved one. Amen? Amen. Diagnosis. But, so a diagnosis is a, is a statement of truth from a professional doctor about your condition. Doesn't matter if you agree with it. Doesn't matter if you don't like it or it makes you angry. It's what's true about your condition, right? Tells you something that is wrong about your body, something broken, something is, is sick, so that you can do something about it. Now, we all know that this world in which we live is broken and sick. Something is wrong. Amen? Have you noticed? Something is wrong with this this world. It's a world that wants to 
cancel our families, abort our babies, over-medicate our kids, mutilate our genders, confuse our sexuality, and, and pervert us with pornography. There's something wrong with this world, amen? More than half of Americans, talking about pornography, more than half of Americans have consumed pornography. More than a quarter of Americans consume it on a regular basis, one out of four, at least once a month. 90% of teens are accessing porn online, and 10% of teenagers admit to using it regularly. The average age for a child today in the U.S. to begin viewing porn is 11 years old. There's something wrong with the world today. Amen? In this highly sexualized culture. 77% of individuals are sexually active by the time they reach the age 20. 75% of all adults have had sex outside of before marriage. Something's wrong with this world, amen? Right? Alcohol. Something's wrong with this obsession that we have with alcohol. You might say, well, alcohol is not really a problem for me, but did you know that car accidents are the leading cause of death for teenagers and almost 30% of all those teenage car crashes causing death are caused by someone who is alcohol, who's, who's drunk on alcohol. Something's wrong. 47% of youth in the U.S. have used drugs by the time they graduate high school. 53 million, almost 20% of Americans over 12 years old have used an illegal drug in the last year. Almost 12% of Americans over 12 years old use illegal drugs regularly. Something's wrong with this world, right? Now, you might say, well, I don't do any of that stuff. And for most people, that may be true, especially here in this room. Maybe you just watch other people do it as it's normalized and glorified, you know, on Netflix and, and YouTube. You know, the number of Netflix subscribers is nearly 214 million in 2021. And that Netflix users are watching 6 billion collective hours of content every month. And 90% of that stuff is just normalizing what the Bible calls as sin and evil. Normalizing it, glorifying it. Social media, gaming, we all know how toxic that can be. 4.7 billion people around the world now use social media. There's a really good article, especially if you're a parent, you need to read. It's simply called, it's a New York Post article. It's simply called, How Social Media is Literally Making Teens Mentally Ill. Just Google it. That's what it's called. How Social Media is Literally Making Teens Mentally Ill. It was posted on September 17th. TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, they are social contagions infecting kids especially, but everyone, with depression, suicide, cutting, gender dysphoria, homosexuality, promiscuity, pornography. Social contagions that are infecting our culture. There's something wrong with our world. Amen? It's broken. It's, it's sick. And, and I believe that we see here in verse 1 specifically a diagnosis from God on what is wrong with our society and the condition of mankind. It simply says this, you were dead in trespasses 
and sins. That's our problem today. Our problem is not that we need more education or better legislation or less inflation or stronger medication. What we need is a resurrection. Because mankind's problem is not moral or political. Our problem is spiritual. We are spiritually dead. This world is spiritually dead in trespass and sins. Now what does that mean to be spiritually dead? It simply means that our relationship, this world, its relationship with God has been severed. Cut off from God. Disconnected from God. Separated from God. Perhaps you've seen depictions on, uh, on TV um, about this thing that science fiction calls zombies. It's like an obsession today with zombies, right? These, these, these creatures that seem to be alive, but they're dead. And they're walking around, right? While they're walking around, you can't talk to them. You can't relate to them. They don't hear you. They don't care about you. They don't fellowship with you because they're dead. Not only are they dead, they're decaying. Their skin's falling out. Their hair's falling out. They're dried up and hollowed out. They're dead men walking. And this is what God is saying about the human condition apart from Christ. Spiritually dead. Dead men, dead women walking. You see it on social media when bickering and division and pride and lust pop up in your newsfeed. You see it in Hollywood with its normalization, its glorification of, of sin. You see it in the corruption of our, our government. You, you see it in the overt sexuality and the perversion and the decadence of our culture. Every time you see drag, drag queen story hour, you're seeing dead men walking. Every time you hear about another abortion or a broken home or a crime or a rape or a child being abused, this is the condition of humanity, dead in trespasses and sins. You see it in the Ukraine. You see it in Iran. You see it in poverty and and sickness and suicide all around the world. This is the Word of God's diagnosis on the condition of humanity. Our problem is not that just we need more money or we need better legislation. Our problem is we are spiritually dead, severed and disconnected from the superintendence of God's blessing over creation. That's our problem. That's the diagnosis. And it's not just, you know, for this ambiguous, nebulous group of people out there that we call the world. This was us. This was me. This was you. Our diagnosis, our condition as well. It says, you, me, we were dead in trespasses and sin. Now you might say, well, I didn't, I don't feel dead. I didn't feel dead. I felt quite alive. Now, of course, physically, yes, you're alive, but spiritually you were dead to God. That's what the scripture is saying. You can be physically alive, enjoying things in life, enjoying your family, enjoying your, your, fa- your, your, your friends, sports, and food, whatever. But the things of God, the presence of God, you're totally disconnected. You were totally disconnected from and didn't, didn't understand at all. It was like a different language. How many remember that? I mean, you were enjoying life, but when it came to the things of God, it was totally irrelevant to you. People would say to you, I love Jesus. And you're like, what do you, you'll, you love what? I don't get that. People would say, I can't wait for church. Maybe you were married to someone, you know, before you came to Christ who loved Jesus. I can't wait to get to church. And you're like, yeah, I could wait. <laughs> I don't need to go to church. You go to church, people are singing songs, 
clapping, lifting their, their hands, and it makes no, made no sense to you. Maybe you're here today, and maybe that's your condition. Maybe you're in this place today, and you see people singing songs and lifting their hands, and it just makes no sense to you at all why someone would clap their hands and, and shout for Jesus. But yet you'll go to a sports game, an athletic event, and do all the same stuff there for the Yankees or the Mets, or the maybe not the Mets so much, but for the Yankees or... <laughs> Right? You do all that stuff out there, but in church, it's like, man, I don't get this. These people are, are really strange. Why? Why is it? Why is it something so comfortable out in the world, but not in church? I'll tell you why. It's called being spiritually dead to God. It doesn't make any sense. You hear scriptures in the Bible, it has no impact to your, to your being. Why? Because you're spiritually dead, right? Bible might be a nice knickknack for the coffee table, but God's eternal word? Come on, really? You believe that? Why? Because you're dead. You hear a sermon, nothing, nothing hits home. Why? Spiritual dead. You hear things about like tithing, that, that someone would actually give 10% of their income to the Lord as a sign of, of His Lordship and His greatness in their life. And you hear that and you're, it just makes no sense to you. Why would someone ever do that? It doesn't calculate in your spirit. Why? Because your spirit is dead. There's no connection to God. How many understand what I'm saying? You get around Christian people, you like them, they're, you know, they're nice people, but all they talk about is Jesus, and it just makes no sense to you. Someone asks you, are you saved? Are you, are you going to heaven? You're not even thinking about it. Why? Spiritually dead. Going to church, it's just some religious thing to go through. Just want to get it over with. Even right now, you're sitting there, you're like, man, how long is this guy going to go on here? It's already been five minutes, man. Right? It's a chore, something to, to endure. The songs are embarrassing, you know, your people around you are lifting their hands. It's just like, man, what is going on, right? And it just, why? There's no connection to it. Why? Because there's no connection to Him. There's a, a spiritual severance between you and, and God. And this, this, is, this is what being spiritually dead is all about. Now, you might, you might say, well, but I'm not dead, I'm alive. But understand something, in the Bible... Death is not the cessation of life. Death is a separation. When you go to a funeral and you see the person in the casket, we say that that person's dead, but biblically we understand they're not dead. They're alive somewhere. They're either in heaven in the presence of God or they're in hell in eternal condemnation. They're alive somewhere. right? But we say that they're dead. Why? Because we no longer have a connection to that person. We're dead to them, they're dead to us. But they're very much, they're very much alive, right? This is what verse 1 means when it says, we were dead in trespasses, in sins. We're very much alive physically, but we're no longer connected to God. It's just like a funeral. It's just like being a zombie. Isaiah 59.2 says, Your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. Spiritually dead. Because of our sin. Now, it wasn't meant to be this way. God did not create the world and us, mankind, to be separated from Him. In the beginning, in the book of Genesis, we see that Adam and Eve, mankind, was created to fellowship with God. We were created for connection with Him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's the way we're wired. We're created to connect with something greater than ourselves. That's why there's so many people who are out of Christ who are walking around with an emptiness trying to fill it with something else. Because there's a drive, that, an internal drive that we had to connect with something greater than, bigger than 
than ourselves, right? But God said to Adam, he said, the moment you sin, the moment you eat that fruit from that tree and you disobey me, in that moment, you will what? You will die. Not physically, but spiritually. You will die. He was saying, in a sense, you will die to me. A separation will occur. It's like going to a funeral. You'll still be alive, but we'll be on two different planes. Because a holy God, a just God, a perfect God, a righteous God cannot, will not fellowship with sin. So he warned Adam. He said, the moment that you do that, you will die spiritually. You'll be cut off from me. And so will this entire creation. And so that's what happened. When Adam sinned, spiritual death entered into mankind. God withdrew himself from mankind, withdrew himself from creation. And now we live in a world that has fallen and corrupt and broken and sick. Amen? Right? People say, why is there so much suffering in the world? If God is good, why? God didn't create this world to be a place of suffering. He created it to be good and perfect. But what happened is mankind said, we don't want to serve you, God. We want to do things our own way. We want to eat the fruit. And God said, if that's what you want, then you can have it. I'm going to withdraw myself from you, and now you're going to be on your own. And that's where we have been ever since. God gave man what he wanted, an existence free from God's control, God's superintendence, and God's blessing. And now we are in what theologians call a fallen, fallen condition, severed from the grace of God. And each one of us, From the moment we were born, we were born into sin. The sin that that Adam committed was passed on to every generation. It has become infused in our nature and our DNA. We are born, now listen to this, we are born sinners. We are born dead to God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We're born separated from God because we're born in sin. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, thus death spread to all men, because all have sinned. All have sinned. You don't believe it? I can prove it. Spend a day with a six-month-year-old. With a two-year-old. If you're really brave. You don't have to teach that little baby how to say no. You don't have to teach. Listen, I know. I raised five of them. Five, my wife helped too. Five of them. Right? And every one of them, the moment they were born, they were sinners. And I didn't have to train them. I didn't have to teach them. They knew how to hit each other. They knew how to yell at each other. They knew how to fight. They knew how to be selfish, how to grab things, how to rip their hand away from their mommy and say, I want to do it my way. How many know what I'm talking about? You have that little baby, you're trying to cross the parking lot because you don't want that, that little toddler to get hurt. And what do they do? They rip their hand away and say, I can walk by myself. What is that? That's our nature. I don't need you, and I don't need authority. I don't need someone over me. I can do it myself. That's our nature. We are born as sinners, and we live in a world that is full of sinners, dead to God. It means this whole world is disconnected. This whole culture is disconnected. The media that we watch is disconnected. Social media, disconnected. Politics, disconnected. Religion, disconnected from the superintending grace of God. We are in a broken creation, fallen from him. And then Paul says, dead in sin, you once walked according to the course of this world. 
In other words, being dead in, being, being dead in Sid, disconnected from God, we become products of the culture around us. It influenced us. It shapes our beliefs. It molded our character. It made us into good little zombies just following along what everybody else is doing. Just one zombie amongst billions. How many understand what I'm saying? This culture, the course of this world, it got us addicted, it programmed us, it imprisoned us, our thoughts, our attitudes, our appetites. And Paul said it's not just the world influencing us, he says there's a spiritual force at work. The prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. This is not just cultural, this is not just moral, this is spiritual. There is a spiritual realm all around us that we can't even see. That's what the Bible teaches us. And since we are dead to God and separated from Him, the devil has now inserted himself into our world, into our plane, and become a driving influence, a force in our world, aggravating our condition, exasperating our condition, and causing more depravity and more suffering and more sickness and more poverty and more crime and more warfare. Why? Because the devil hates God and anything that resembles God. And guess what? Even though we're fallen, we are still created in the image of God. And every time that a, a, a child is conceived in the womb, it is a target of attack for the devil because the devil hates anything that reminds him of God. That's why the devil loves abortion. That's why the devil loves uh, gender, uh, gender fluidity and transgenderism to mar the created image of God in that life that he created for destiny. And the result of all of this is a captivity. That we are enslaved. It says we conduct our, we conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by what? Nature, children of wrath, just as the others. We were trapped in this endless cycle of, lu- of the lust of the flesh, fulfilling any and every desire as soon as it came into our mind. It's our nature, our natural human condition, that we would be slaves to our own lusts. And this describes the world completely. No restraint, no limits. Whatever they feel, whatever the world wants, whatever people outside of Christ, whatever they desire, they go after it. Now you might say, well, wait a minute. I'm, I'm nobody's slave. I'm free. I'm in control. I'm the master of my own fate. I'm the captain of my own destiny, right? If anyone's in bondage, it's you Christians. You're the ones who are slaves living with all those rules and all those regulations and rituals. And I used to think this myself before I came to Christ. I used to think that I was free, free to do anything I felt, free to do anything that I wanted. But what I didn't really realize is that I was a slave to the things that I felt and the things that I wanted and I had no power to resist. That as soon as I would wake up in the morning and a thought, a desire would enter my mind, I became victim to that thought and that desire And that thought and that desire would control me and compel me and I would obsess over it. And I had no freedom to get away from it. I was a slave to the lusts. This is the lie of the world. You think you're free, but you're not free. You're walking according to the course of this world, the spirit that works in the sons of disobedience, conducting yourself in the lust of the flesh and of the mind and are by nature child of wrath. It's like you're a zombie. Locked in this condition of spiritual death, roaming amongst lost people, looking for another thing to satisfy the carnal. 
craving. And the bottom line to all of this is that we are pretty messed up humans. Hello? We are guilty of sin. We are lost, severed from a holy God. We are separated. And that's why Paul says we are by nature, what? Children of wrath. Wrath. Everybody say wrath. The Greek word is orgi. It is a violent, passionate act of punishment. Wrath. It means anger, indignation, vengeance. And it's what God feels towards those who are dead in trespasses and sins. Psalm 711 says God is a just judge and God is angry with the wicked every day. I can hear some say, well, that's, I don't know who you're talking about, but that's not my God. My God is a God of love. Yes, He is a God of love, but that's only part of His description. And if that's the only part of His nature that you emphasize, then what you're emphasizing is an incomplete description of who God is. Yes, He's love, but He's also holy and perfect and just. And He hates sin. In the Old Testament, there are more than 20, 20 words, 20 different words used to express the wrath of God. In the Bible, there are more than 600 scriptures that reveal the wrath of God. And if we don't take God's wrath seriously, it's only because we don't take sin seriously. It's because we fail to accurately estimate the holiness and the perfection of a sovereign, eternal God. We fail. We fail to... To understand that. And instead, we, we, we recreate God in our own Im- image to where we think, well, he, he's not really that bothered by sin because I'm not that bothered by sin. But that's not, that's not God. God is holy and he's perfect. Amen? Judgment is a real thing. Hell is a real place. Hebrews 9.27, I say this all the time. It is appointed unto men once to die. But after this comes what? The judgment. Matthew 10, 28. Jesus. That's right. Loving, graceful, merciful Jesus said, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both the soul and body in hell. Revelation 14, 11 talks about the smoke of their torment that ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. This is the condition of those who are without Christ. Dead to God because they are dead in sin and therefore objects of His wrath. Hebrews 10.30 For we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hello? We don't hear these scriptures too much today. You know Why? Because you can't build a mailing list with these scriptures. You can't do a marketing campaign. You can't grow a church with these, right? We're not interested in growing the church. We're interested in preaching the gospel. We're interested in the Holy Spirit speaking to hearts and drawing people into salvation. Amen? And you can't do that unless you preach the word and give the truth. Because sinners won't realize they're sinners unless they realize what sin is and what happens to sinners who don't repent. Hello? Amen? Right? People can't come to life in Christ until they first realize that they're dead in trespasses and sins. And if we don't teach that and preach that and proclaim that, then all we'll do is fill the church with with, with happy people who love good music but aren't saved, that aren't converted. Amen? 
right? But this was us. This was our fate. Separated from God. Lost. This was me. This was you. We were lost and without hope and on our way to hell until you get to verse 4. Somebody say, thank God for verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his, come on, let's read it together out loud. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Come on, give the Lord a praise. But God, but God, we were dead in sin and hopelessly lost. But God, We were slaves in bondage and lost for eternity. But God, we were ignorant and deceived. But God, we were trapped in lust and decadence. But God, we were broken, miserable, and ashamed. But God, we were guilty and cursed and condemned. But God, but God, hallelujah. He loves the prodigals. He saves the sinners. He rescues the lost and the lonely and the perishing. He called us and He quickened us and He redeemed us and restored us and resurrected us. He cleansed us and freed us and gave us His his name and He adopted us and breathed life into us. Hallelujah. And now we are born again and alive unto God through His Spirit that lives within us. But God who is rich in mercy, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. We have the diagnosis, dead in sin. We have the symptoms and the prognosis, judgment and hell. Now we have the remedy, grace. Everybody say grace. It just sounds good to say it, doesn't it? Grace. Yeah, Pastor Greg, especially if you beat us up with judgment and hell. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we're His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. By grace you have been saved through faith. What does that mean? That means there was nothing you could do to save yourself because you were dead. Amen? You didn't need a new church. You didn't need a better sermon. You needed a resurrection. Hallelujah. You needed God to step into your life and make a way where there was no way. You needed Jesus to step into your life and to bring a a miraculous turnaround. You needed the Holy Spirit to breathe new life into your dead soul and take occupancy up in your being and reconnect you to God. You needed a work to be done that is supernatural, that is miraculous, that is otherworldly, that man can't do, religion can't do, church can't do. Only God can do it. But God, it's by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves hallelujah amen you can't work your way to heaven though we try you might say well i know i'm not perfect but i'm good enough 
Good enough. Compared to, to who? The guy next to you? Maybe. But not compared to God. It's his standard. It's his heaven. It's his house. You want to get into his house, you've got to know what his standard is. And you know what his standard is? Holiness. Righteousness. Perfection. That's his standard. And none of us is perfect. None of us can fulfill that standard. We've all sinned and we're all dead and disconnected from God. The issue is not how good you are or how good you can make yourself through works. The issue is how guilty you are. The issue is our guilt, not our lack of goodness, not not, not something that we can supplement through more good works. That's not the issue. The issue is our guilt, our sin. That's, That's the issue, amen? I mean, for instance, if I do something to you that really offends you, if you could imagine such a thing, but if I could do something to you that just, maybe I, maybe I backed my car out and hit your car in the parking lot, really offended you, or maybe I insulted your, your wife, or maybe I somehow did something that, that hurt your child, right? And I did something that just really offended you, just really committed some offense against you, right? And I say to you, wait, wait, don't judge me, don't, don't be mad at me. I know I did some bad here, but I'm really a good person. I, I'm actually a very good husband. I'm a good provider. I'm a hard worker. You know, and there's many other cars I didn't back into. Right? Would that remove the offense? No. No way. I may be good, but in your eyes, I'm still guilty. You're never going to let me drive your car. You're never going to let me into your house. You're never going to let me watch your kids. Right? Because of the guilt. Amen? Hello? Come on, I know you people. You all hold on to grudges. I know. <laughs> I'm kidding. See, right now you're offended, right? Right now. It's, right now it happened, right? Okay. But it's the same with God. God cannot let us into His heaven because of our guilt, because we've offended Him. The guilt needs to be renewed, re- removed. Right? Our dead condition needs to be made alive again. We need to be restored to God. And this is where Jesus comes into the picture. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus made it possible for our guilt to be removed because on the cross, on the cross, He took our sin. Isaiah the prophet said, The Lord laid on Him the iniquity of us all. On the cross, Jesus was being punished, but not for His sin. He was sinless. The Bible says that God made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might be made into the righteousness of God. On the cross, Jesus, he received the appropriation of the world's guilt before God. He was the eternal son of God. He could do that, right? And so God punished Jesus like he was punishing all of us. And then Jesus died the death that we deserved to die, and he was buried. And when Jesus was buried, our guilt, our shame, our sin, our offense was all buried there in that tomb with him. And then on the third day, what happened? Jesus rose from the dead. Hallelujah. He rose from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And now He offers to each of us the gift of eternal life, the forgiveness of sins. It's a gift. It's grace. It's not something you earn or deserve. It's something you receive like a gift. Everybody say, everybody say it's a gift. But you have to receive the gift. That's the thing about a gift. If you don't receive it, it doesn't do you any good. Right? The Gospel of John 1.12 says, To as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to be called the sons. You have to receive the gift. 
Maybe you're here today and you're realizing how distant you are from God. Maybe you're realizing that you're not connected to God, that the things of God don't really make any sense to you and have no appeal to you. And you realize that you're, yeah, you, you are guilty and that you have never come to God for cleansing. You've never come to God for resurrection. You've never reconnected to God through Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that today is the day that you can do that through faith. Amen? It's received through faith, not of works. Amen? Let's stand together. I'll ask the worship team to join me up here. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray, God, that if there be anyone here today in this room that has never received this gift of grace, this gift of forgiveness and cleansing, this resurrection of their spiritual life, Holy Spirit, come. Open eyes. Holy Spirit, come. Reveal the need for a Savior. That we're lost and condemned. But you're a God of grace who wants to save and forgive. So Father, I pray, deal with hearts right now. Deal with hearts. Deal with hearts. With your heads bowed and and with your eyes closed, if you're here today and you have never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, but today you want to do that. Today, just right where you're standing, You want to say, yes, I want to receive Jesus into my life. I want to lead you in a prayer right where you're standing, but I need to know you want me to do that. Anybody here? Just slip your hand up and say, yeah, that's me. I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, my Lord. I want to be freed from my sin, my guilt, my condemnation, and I want to follow Jesus. I don't see any hands. So, Father, I want to pray, God, that as we we go from this place, Lord, that you'll help us to know that the grace of God it's available to us every day. Even when we sin, even when we fall, when we, we mess up. That we don't work ourselves back to you, Lord. That forgiveness is grace. We just receive forgiveness through faith. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Let your blessing be upon each one today. In Jesus' name. As we close the service, as we close the service, just give me one minute. One more verse here I want to point you to. Verse 6. It says that he raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know what that's talking about? It's talking about access. Now, through his grace, we have a great high priest who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And he tells us, come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and grace to help in your time of need. It means now, because Christ has cleansed you from all sin, you have access to every blessing of God and the riches of His grace.